Good evening, everyone. Let me turn off my phone here. I'm hoping everyone does the same. Um, I'm Roswell and I'm communications director here of the Pratt Library. And on behalf of Pratt CEO Carla Hayden, we want to welcome everyone here to another special edition of our Writers Live event. Um, tonight, we have a very special guest. Um, as a Simpsons fan, so I'm very, um, personally, I'm very excited about this event. And of course, he's a Baltimore native. So we're going to have Larry Doyle here speak shortly. But I just want to remind everyone um, that the Writers Live event and all the other speaker events here at the Pratt Library could not be possible without, you know, patrons like you and all the great sponsors that we have here at the library who generously donate their time and money to make sure these programs stay free for, you know, the city of Baltimore. We also want to thank the Pratt Contemporaries who were a great young professional group that supports the Pratt Library. Uh, they had a private reception for um, Larry Doyle, and it was a very good event. If you want to learn more about the Pratt Contemporaries, they throw these fabulous events, you know, from author reception to um, having our Eat, Drink, Read series, where we recently had the bartender from BNO Brass Repair Cocktails with Books. Um, just look up at their website, prattcontemporaries.org, or go to the Pratt Library's website at prattlibrary.org. Now, enough of me talking. I know you're not here to listen to me talk. Um, I would like uh, to introduce the person who's going to introduce Larry Doyle. Uh, we consider him a family member here at the Pratt Library. We work with him a lot. Um, we work with him especially on our annual event, the City Lit Festival, in the springtime in April. Um, he is the executive director of the City Lit Project here in Baltimore. So please welcome Mr. Greg Wilhelm. Good evening. Thank you, Roswell. Thank you, Judy. Thank you, Dr. Hayden, for hosting tonight's event. Um, it's my pleasure to introduce Larry Doyle. Larry Doyle is the world's finest writer. I know this because it says so on his website. Further trustworthy links from this same website reveal that Larry has written for TV, most notably, as Roswell has suggested, The Simpsons, a little cartoon you may have heard. Seasons 9 through 12 is where, when Larry worked for The Simpsons. He introduced the world to Mojo, the helper monkey. Larry has also written for movies, often movies that barely resemble their original concepts or their award-winning book predecessors. And Larry has written for magazines, such as The New Yorker, Esquire, and National Lampoon. The library will close in 20 minutes, but Larry Doyle will keep reading. Larry Doyle likes to write about teen awkwardness, B-movies, and atomic monkeys. He really likes to write about monkeys. I don't get the monkey thing. Seriously, Larry's novel, I Love You, Beth Cooper, won the 2008 Thurber Prize for American Humor. That's a, ter ter a terrific honor. Larry's second book, Go Mutants, is a cross between Happy Days and every movie ever made by Ed Wood, the legendary director of B-movies like Plan 9 from Outer Space. Larry's latest book, Deliriously Happy and Other Bad Thoughts, collects some of his best magazine writing and other observations about life, art, and I'm sure, no, no doubt, there are stories about monkeys in this, this book as well. Books are on sale this evening. Uh, just step outside and see Greg from the Ivy Bookstore. I'm sure Larry would love to sign copies of his latest book for you, and it's no need to remind you that there are only 35 days 
uh, left, shopping days left until December 14th. Larry, that's, that's National Monkey Day. I'm, I'm sure you observe that, right? That's a real thing, actually. December 14th, National Monkey Day. Please join me in welcoming Larry Doyle. There are sadly no monkeys in this book. Um, I, I, maybe there's a monkey. Uh, I think there's like no more than six monkeys in this book. Um, uh, thank you all for coming here. Uh, the last time I was here was to read from uh, I Love You, Beth Cooper, which is a really filthy book. And um, all of my neighbors had very helpfully come out for the book reading and, and, and brought their small children. And I had planned on reading um, sections about uh, um, erections. And, um, but uh, fortunately, tonight, this will only be rated PG-13, and the only child that I see out there is my son, who's sort of used to this. So. Um, I'm going to start with uh, uh, people ask you where your ideas come from. Um, and uh, there's 50 pieces in here, so theoretically there's as many as... 20 ideas. Um, the, uh, the, the first piece I'm going to read, I got the idea for, I used to um, see this ad in the back of magazines and newspapers all the time, and it would be two um, uh, drawings of colons, the, the kind that are inside your body. And, and one of them was a, a clumpy, all kind of grungy, clumped up, you know, tight, with all sorts of terrible things in it that had been in there for 25 years. Uh, and that was the before colon. And then there was this gi gigantic, big, fluffy colon. Um, and um, all you had to do was buy this product. It was uh, $100. And, um, and uh, who doesn't want a fluffy colon? <laughs> so I bought this product. And um, about uh, two weeks later, at about 4 o'clock in the morning as I was hunched over the toilet in, in extreme pain. I, I could go into a lot of detail here, but I won't. Um, I got the idea for this piece. Please read before suing. Dr. Goodbody's total good body system is such a revolutionary and completely natural way to eliminate all your health problems that it's quite common for people to feel frightened before using it and to feel disoriented and more frightened afterward. Before calling our customer service line or 911, we suggest that you sit down, drink eight glasses of water, and read our responses to the following testimonials submitted by other satisfied customers like yourself. Question. $750 for a 30-day supply. That's a $25 a pill. Isn't that a lot of money? Answer. Not when you consider that it comes to just about a dollar an hour. A dollar for an hour free of all your pains and complaints. Who wouldn't want to pay a dollar to feel like a million bucks? You'd have to be crazy not to. And it's not merely a pill. Each Dr. Goodbody's Total Goodbody System daily bolus contains the entire line of Dr. Goodbody solutions, including Colorooter, Blood Flush, Tumor Stopper, and several others that are no longer available in most states. That's why each pill weighs nearly three ounces and why we've recommended that you take it with eight glasses of water and the supplied lubricant. Question. My doctor has strongly warned me against trying your system and told me not to come crying to him when my insides fall out. <laughs> Answer. Of course your doctor would say that. Question. 
I've been taking my daily bolus with eight glasses of water for three weeks now, and I've seen none of the results graphically depicted on your website. Instead, I have gained 60 pounds, and have become so bloated, I no longer have fingerprints. What am I doing wrong? You need to increase the size of the glasses of water, but keep the total number of glasses to eight. I smell burning hair. That means it's working. Other evidence that Dr. Goodbody's total good body system is decoxicleansing, immunoblasting, and revital loosening your insides includes headaches, nausea, vomiting, vomiting for places other than your mouth, tiny voices, rapidly cycling hypo and hypertension resulting in staggering about with protruding eyeballs, cacophonous bowel sounds, muscle and joint pain that feels like slow roasting, inability to urinate, inability to cease urinating, spicy urine, sudden double-jointedness, itching in an unreachable location, cotton-mouth-mouth, athlete's face, knee sap, extremely offensive odor that smells like strawberries to you, (laughs) undead feeling, migrating love handles, reverse vertigo, craving for bees and other sweet insects, Jolie lips, jazz hands, (laughs) visible bubbles in the blood, eye hair, abdominal rash that spells, let me out. (laughs) Uncontrollable urge to contact attorneys, unexplained French tips, laughing buttocks, and a blinding but oddly comforting white light. If the burning hair smell continues for more than a day and your hair is not actually on fire, which happens in only a small number of cases, there's a very slight possibility you are having a stroke. If so, please seek help immediately by going online and ordering Dr. Goodbody's brain reboot Choose overnight shipping. I think I just passed my spine. That was your old spine. Rest assured that Dr. Goodbody's all-naturally nanobiotic health knots are busily constructing a new spine for you with fresh discs and state-of-the-art wiring. We think you're going to like it a lot. Do not be alarmed if, at first, your new spine feels somewhat gelatinous. This is a great time to try out all those frustrating yoga positions. No one is answering the guaranteed money-back hotline. All our operators are busy taking testimonials from other satisfied customers like yourself, or they may be in the bathroom. We recommend that you take eight glasses of water and stay on the line for as long as you can. Um, So I'm going to do this a little differently than um, it's usually done because these are all little individual pieces. And now if anybody, those questions you were all rehearsing carefully beforehand and and I'll have ready. We'll, like, I'll take a question before I read another piece. Does anyone have any questions at this point? Somebody must have a question. There's extra credit. Um, well, it, it depends on um, the time. What, what usually inspires me is that I haven't had anything in the New Yorker for more than six months. Um, <laughs> And uh, that inspires me to sit around going, what would be inspiring? Um, and a lot of times it, it really is true that most of the, these ideas don't really need some bolt of lightning kind of inspiration. You can look around for something that you want to do. Or, or There's almost any news story you could turn into something interesting. It, the, the problem that most of these kind of things have is that the humor piece based on the news story is just a simple exaggeration of the news story. And given how ridiculous the world has become, you know, it... 
Yeah, I guess this was just an excuse to do a funny list. Um, Um, if, if, if before I had been on The Simpsons, if you had asked me, I would have said that, uh, you know, hands down, you need to do this by yourself and that if more than one person is getting together to try to collaborate on an idea, it won't have a voice and blah, 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 blah. But having been on The Simpsons, um, I often wish as I'm writing pieces now that I had 12 other guys who were, you know, incredibly smart and well-paid who could throw in jokes and, and help me out. And, and I do know, at least on The Simpsons, that there are, there are plenty of jokes in every episode that could not have been written by one person. That the way they developed and the way that we discovered them, you'd have to be schizophrenic, really, to get there. And by schizophrenic, I mean the popular notion of schizophrenia, not the real version of schizophrenia. Um, but that you couldn't get there without people throwing things against one another to get to the epiphany that... You know, the, the jokes that you hear on The Simpsons and on, on other great shows are probably the seventh thing that was said off of the, the joke that was pitched. Um, on the other hand, <laughs> uh, working on a show like The Simpsons is a bit uh, like uh, a regular office job where there are all these rivalries and people who are out to get other people. And also... Um, if anyone has a job where they have to go to a meeting, you know, you go to a meeting, you're like, when is this meeting going to be over? On a television show, you go in and you sit down and the meeting starts. And then when the meeting ends, usually about 16 hours later, that's when you go home. That's all the job is, is a meeting where you are sitting at the same table with the same mostly dudes and going sort of methodically through a script. And sometimes it can be really fun. And sometimes you can't get the joke, and you pitch for two hours on the name of a character. And you end up, you know, pitching names like uh, McGrumpy Sleepy Pants <laughs> or something like that. I'm just lurking, so we oh. can get this on the podcast. Okay. So if we have a question. I got caught in the woods with a severe thunderstorm and wind, and I paged my son if I don't make it, if I get hit by lightning. Or a fallen tree. I want to say goodbye. I love you. And he texted me back. He said, "Not now, Mom. I'm watching The Simpsons." <laughs> <laughs> he should know that it's available on DVD, and he can uh, <laughs> he can watch it every time. Um, oh, I, I, I wish I, I don't think there's any mention of The Simpsons in here. I'm going to I'm going to read another piece now. Um, this piece I'm reading at the behest of my wife, who um, you'll probably see very early on why she likes it, but I'm going to try to shorten it. Um, and uh, I'm not sure what inspired this other than at some point in my life I realized that I had been dating so much um, and was so old that I was uh, now incapable of actually having a relationship. I developed so many um, yeses and nos and we're going out with so many people with yeses and nos. This is called My Heart, My Rules. If this is going to work, and I for one am pulling for it, things are going to have to be different. Not different than it had been for us, certainly, because at the very least, I hope we can agree that you and I are not yet an us, that being my sincere goal, but different than the ways things have been for me and I suspect have also been for you. We're not kids anymore, so let's be adults about this. The countless past couplings, 
and perhaps I'm getting ahead of myself here, but I believe they should remain countless, that propel us into each other's arms have taught us both individually that love, alas, does not conquer all, and that for these things to work, there have to be rules. My apartment. As we walk around my apartment, please note, one, this is my apartment. <laughs> Two, as a result of years of painstaking trial and error, the television, stereo, thermostat, refrigerator, toaster, and furniture in this apartment are all set to their optimal levels in every regard. <laughs> any attempt to adjust any appliance or object in my apartment will only, A, result in them having to be reset, and B, introduce passive aggressiveness into the relationship, which, as any book will, on the subject will tell you, is bad. Three, in the closet here, and this is very important, are my clothes. No clothes that are not these clothes, or which do not hew very closely to these clothes in matters of style or substance, will ever become my clothes. They may, A, reside in this closet for a while, leading to the impression that they are actively participating in my wardrobe, but B, in fact, will be there for display purposes only, and C, all non-me apparel, regardless of its source, will eventually end up in this closet way over here, where if you see anything you like, help yourself. Four, I have achieved a satisfying equilibrium between my desire for order and the seductive lure of chaos. Please do not upset it. Five, I cannot accept responsibility for items of clothing or other personal objects left in the apartment, nor can I vouch for the provenance of any vestiture or garniture you discover that proves to be neither yours nor mine. Six, my lease forbids me from making an extra set of keys. Me. Generally, there is only one rule about me. I am what I am. But over the last few years, a few areas concerning me have cropped up often enough that I feel the need to address them specifically. One, I have worn my hair long, short, laughed right, straight back, and spiked. The particular style you see now is, unfortunately, the only one that works. Previous hair experiments by otherwise well-meaning individual, individuals have ended in tears. Two, I am 10 pounds overweight. When I raise this issue, typically in the mornings or just before dessert, you should, A, be aware there is no correct response, and B, quietly go about your business. Three, do not touch me here, here, and especially here, even in jest. Four, I have a medical condition that I may invoke from time to time to explain certain moods or behaviors. Do not be alarmed as this condition, A, is not fatal in a medical sense, B, cannot be transmitted through sexual contact, and C, cannot be transmitted through oral sex. <laughs> sorry, sorry about that. Um, you. Having insisted that I am what I am, it would be hypocritical of me to not let you be you. However, Experience has taught me that you may at some point decide not to be you anymore. Should you anticipate such a transformation, I ask that you keep in mind. One, your hair is perfect. There's no need for you to ever do anything interesting to it. Two, however it is that you smell that way, continue to do so. Sudden shifts in the olfactory landscape disconcert me. Three, if I should come to love you, see us 3A below, I will of course love you at any size. Yet I cannot love and respect someone who, by all appearances, does not love and respect herself. Accordingly, A, do you really want to eat that? Four, all of the above notwithstanding, I do not wish to discourage you from pursuing cosmetic surgery if it would somehow bolster your self-esteem and would be happy to support you in a strictly advisory capacity. Brochures attached. 
Then there's a long s section about us, and I'm going to just skip a couple pages here. It gets into extreme detail. Um, we'll, we'll go to the end. Miscellaneous. From my experience in previous situations, I've learned a few things which, God willing, can prevent any future us from becoming emotional baggage that burdens any subsequent us you or I may pursue separately. One, pre-existing cats, up to two, will be tolerated, provided you, you do not insist that they become an active third party in the relationship. Should you uh, not now have such a cat, but consider acquiring one in the future, I would appreciate, A, the right to preemptively challenge up to three prospective names, and B, verbal assurances that said creature will not be nurtured from a pool of affection and attention created especially for it and not from other sources. <laughs> Two, absolutely no dog sharing. Three, my medication does not interact with alcohol. And while we're on the subject, I only drink to forget those aspects of my past that might otherwise impede our ability to form a lasting, loving us. And B, I know my limit. Four, from time to time, I may disappear for several days, physically and or emotionally. A, this need not concern you. B, under no circumstances, call the police. Five, if your name is Catherine, Kathy, Kate, Cat, Kate, Katie, Sweetie, or Pumpkin, it might be wise for me to call you by your middle name or a third, mutually agreed upon name. One possibility, Becky. One night, four to six months from now, we may go out to eat, see a movie, come back to my apartment, make love, watch some TV, go to bed, and you awake in the middle of the night and find me weeping. A, it will be nothing. B, ignore it and go back to sleep. Seven, please refrain from talking during sex. Before you say anything, don't say anything. I know what you're going to say, and I agree. It would be so nice if we were young and unbruised again and can rush in like fools, whereas adults, we would know better than to tread. This is not to say that I'm not all for this. I just think that if you and I must dance once again into that dark, warm room filled with spiders, we ought to step carefully. And I want to know ahead of time that no more than a handful is playing violins behind their backs. Uh, oh, and one more thing, I don't dance. Uh, so now we'll chat again for a while. Comics that you really think are incredibly talented, and did you ever meet Andy Rooney? And what do you think? Of, what did you think of Andy Rooney? Um, uh, my, my parents, who, who like to um, uh, f find books or get them for free places and give them to me, um, like uh, I was, I, I was at their house on the weekend, and they gave me a, a, an Andy Rooney book that, for, for whatever reason, a dog had been chewing on a corner of. Um, and, and, and they gave it to me the day that he died, and it was sort of like a weird thing to have that happen. I remember watching him a lot and really enjoying it, but I haven't watched him recently. Uh, of current people, you know, public comics, the one that I like the best now is Louis C.K., who has an amazing show on, I think, I'm not sure what channel it's in, but it's called Louis, and it, 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 I, I recommend you watch it. Tina Fey is also quite great. Anyone else? I'll read another one, a really sad one. To write for the New Yorker, and how did that come about? And what sort of pieces are they interested in? The sort of thing that you've got in your book. Um, well, they used to be interested in a lot more different kinds of things than they are now. Uh, I, I got in there 
um, through this rather primitive method. Um, I used to write things and then type them on a typewriter. And I would fold the paper up and put it in a brown square. Um, it's what was called an envelope. And um, um, you would put these sticky things on it called stamps. And you write out the name of the person or to the New Yorker and, and where you want it to go. And you put it in this box. And then it would, it would get there about a week later. And about three weeks later, you would get back the document that you had sent them in, in another envelope that you had already put in there and put stamps on and a, a, a tiny little piece of paper that said, you know, thank you for thinking of us, best of luck placing this elsewhere. Um, and, and I did that for a long time because I was very into, from about the time I was 18, I think, I um, had been, uh, I discovered a Woody Allen book and through him I went to the New Yorker and discovered all these people who had written there. And so throughout my 20s I sent them things and one day I sent them something that came back with uh, the same uh, slip, only someone had written in hand that you know, while we admire this, we're not going to take it, but uh, please submit again. And so now I had a name, and I kept sending things to her, Julia Just, who I dedicated this book to. Um, and eventually, there was a piece that they didn't hate enough to reject, called Life Without Leanne, and, the, and they suggested. And they were very, they, very much, uh, you know, people of habit, et cetera, et cetera, that... Your, the size of the stationery they would respond to you on, they had like eight sizes of stationery, and they would get bigger and bigger, <laughs> sort of depending on how you were doing, and in fact could get smaller, I was told later, <laughs> if they felt like you weren't going in the right direction. Uh, she asked me to revise it, and, um, and I was so terrified um, because I had uh, something that none of my friends had, which was a piece that had not yet been rejected by the New Yorker, um, that I did not even try to revise it for more than a year. Um, and about a year later, my life was going down the toilet, and, and this unrejected New Yorker piece just kept bugging me. And, and, and so what I decided to do was to revise it and send it in and get it rejected so that, you know, everything could be sort of consistent in my life. <laughs> anyway, they took it. And the difference there then, too, is uh, over almost a six-month period, it was edited just through the mails. I never talked to anyone. Uh, Julia left shortly after the first piece, and I, she passed me on to her, basically her boss, Roger Angel, who I published several pieces with over the years, and now... Never once talked to him. Uh, I only met him years later at a party, and that was the way they do it. These days, I write something up, I put it in an email, they say yes or no, sometimes it runs that week. Um, and uh, the other big difference is the second piece I got in The New Yorker was a 3,000-word Thomas Pinchon parody. You won't ever see that again. Um, the, all the human pieces are around 700 words long. And this is one of them. This is a fairly recent piece. Um, this was inspired um, by um, having to stand in a, a goddamn Dave and Buster's <laughs> for about an hour and wondering if I would ever get my hearing back. Um, there are footnotes in this piece, which you'll be able to tell by the very sort of clever change of voice. Fun times. Do your kids like to have fun? Come to Fun Times. Fun Times, formerly Fun Times with a Y, and not affiliated with Yield Fun Times or the New York Times Company, 
and does not recognize their debts or financial obligations. Do you like to watch your kids having fun? Bring them to fun times. Are your kids sullen, withdrawn, wearing a lot of black lately, and you, your life practically over, and for what? For gosh sakes, get the whole family down to fun times. Fun times, fine amusement dining is the most fun you can have legally in the United States right now. Why spend thousands of dollars flying to Disney World when you can spend less than half of that indoors and malaria-free within a day's drive of most cities? To find the fun times nearest you, simply get on your favorite highway and keep going until you hear the fun. Park in any of the outer lots and hop on the Jolly Trolley. The Jolly Trolley is not operated by the Fun Times Company, which makes no warrants as to its driver, Glenn, or to the final destination of the trolley. Or walk on ahead if you prefer. Once you've reached the Fun Times intake office, you'll be asked to fill out a few simple waivers and financial disclosure forms. You're moments away from fun. Next, you'll purchase your children's Fun Times Happy Cards, which can be loaded in $20 increments by Grumpy McPoops, or set to unlimited happiness for kids whose parents would prefer to spend the money now rather than later on therapy and make goods. You're on the cusp of fun. Release the children. The first thing you want to do upon entering the Fun Times Game Dome is stagger over to the grown-up pagoda and purchase a pair of earplugs. They cost a little more, but we recommend the Westone ES49s, the kind Pete Townsend uses to preserve what's left of his hearing. Now take a look around. Epileptic should not take a look around. <laughs> was there ever anything this much fun when you were a kid? Maybe there was, and your parents lied to you about it. But you don't have to, you're not them, and you don't have to be them. Just one look in your children's glowing, jittery eyes will tell you how much cooler you are than they ever were. This may not happen right away, but rest assured, your kids are in here somewhere, enjoying video game graphics almost as good as the ones at home. While you're waiting, why not check out our costumed entertainment? We are proud to host the Metacools, a cartoon menagerie developed by Hanna-Barbera for the National Institutes of Health in the 70s. Feel free to arm wrestle with Mycocardio or shake hands with Wiz and Wee the Kidney Twins. Because for the most part, the children won't go near them. Ladies, please note, Dr. Lung Tissue is not a licensed physician. Don't bother yelling. Your kids can't hear you. Maybe you should eat something. There's a restaurant in here, too, in the direction of the smell. For the little ones, we have pizza, fries, and chicken shapes. And for you, six sizes of beer. We strongly advise against searching for your kids down the console canyons. They'll find their way out long before you do. What we recommend is that you pick one place and stand there. But not there. You've been goobed. Don't worry, that was gallons and gallons of totally natural fun. Goob is a proprietary peanut-based gel, which may contain traces of peanuts and whole peanuts still in the shell. People who are sensitive to peanuts and or tree nuts should have read the waiver more carefully. You've been goobed, which is, won't ruin any fabric developed after 2005. That slight burning sensation is not humiliation, so relax and enjoy the laughter of hundreds of children, all because of you. And look, here come your kids now, laughing like they've never laughed before, and apparently unharmed. They just want you to hold uh, onto the 600 game tickets they've accumulated so far, almost halfway to a frog clacker, and then they're gone again, into the fun. Did they call back, I love you, Dad, as they slipped into the neon darkness? We think they did. I don't know where we are on time, but we can talk a little bit more and then maybe read one last piece. What do you think? Yeah. Um, what about politics? Do you 
how do you feel about writing comedy about political events? Um, it's hard because of how ridiculous uh, politics has gotten. I was, I was commenting last night. For example, I find it um, odd that uh, Herman Cain, given his recent troubles, continues to use his slogan, when you get on the Cain train, you don't get off. which just sounds like a line he's used before. Um, but, uh, um, you know, it is, it's a little difficult. Uh, strangely that you would say that. I wrote a piece, to, I write this uh, column for time.com, which tends to be mostly about politics. And I wrote a piece today that they turned down because they thought it would upset too many people. And uh, they ran a piece where I called for the killing of half the population of the world. This one they thought would upset too many people. Um, the, the, the premise of the piece was that it, it was really kind of too bad that Herman Cain was not going to be the Republican nominee now because uh, nothing would please me more than to see two black candidates for president and little white pinheads exploding across the country. Um, and, and to just watch the GOP trying to deal with you know, a good portion of their base being uh, evaporating and, 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 and how they'd have to switch their whole sort of, um, sort of agenda over from, you know, coded messages about black equaling, equaling foreign and evil over to sort of the good Negro, bad Negro, you know, sort of paradigm. Um, and, and I also thought that, um, that uh, maybe you would even see the, the sleazier Democrats try to take advantage of a perceived edge here by, you know, going with the stealth slogan, half white is all right. <laughs> you know, Obama is 50% more white than Hermit K. <laughs> anyway, they thought that would upset people. Um, <laughs> but, but the, I, I mean, the interesting thing was, and, and this, they admitted was the case, the problem they had wasn't that what I was writing would be perceived as racist. What the problem they had was, you're basically saying that the GOP is racist. And I said, I'm not saying they're racist. I'm saying that they're cynically racist. That they don't really believe it. They're just using it because it works. Um, which is, but anyway, they did write it. I also thought that, um, and, and sort of more sincerely, that to have... Herman Cain going up against Obama is like this would have been this amazing thing because I, I maybe you may tell which side I'm on, but um, those guys couldn't be more different in terms of what they want the country to be, what they want to do, and even in their basic personality, they're very different. I mean, up until, uh, you know, Obama is not, like, warm, um, and, uh, and, uh, and he's very cerebral, and Herman Cain is, like, very proudly anti-intellectual. Um, and, you know, up until a couple of days ago, you might have even described him as cuddly. <laughs> uh, um, and it would have been nice, because it would have uh, forced America to uh, judge a black man not on the color of his skin, because they had no choice. Black was already a given. Not going to happen. Um... I'm trying to figure out what last piece I should read. Any topics of interest, anyone? Yes. Uh, just going back to the beginning when you uh, talked about medicine. 
besides the cure, like depression, let's take with depression, some of the things, the side effects always seem to be you know, twice as bad or three times as bad as the uh, depression itself, you know, kidney failure and diarrhea and all the other things. And then they have the small print, everything's in small print. And the bad things are all in small print. Well, you just have to get lucky, I guess. Um, I think, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, drugs in general are pr pretty successful. You know, this first piece that I wrote, um, after it ran, uh, there was a, um, a, people will take whatever they can from something. They got really, so this one site devoted to people suffering from Lyme disease got really upset because they felt the point of the piece was that I was somehow saying that the medication they have to take for their Lyme disease shouldn't cost so much. And I couldn't quite get that. But, but, and I don't do this anymore. I decided to engage with them on their, on their website. <laughs> it, uh, uh, it, as it turns out, I've had Lyme disease. And um, uh, I, I, I was diagnosed early and I was treated and I don't have any of the uh, lingering effects that these people have from the Lyme disease that they've never been diagnosed with. And, um, uh, but they, they, I just infuriated them because they were like, these are people whose entire lives are based on the idea of I have this disease and it's defined me for my entire life and, and everything is sort of focusing around this. And then I said, I had Lyme, oh yeah, I had Lyme disease. Yeah, I got that uh, bullseye and they gave you some drugs. I'm great, I'm fine. <laughs> it was just not what they wanted to hear. Um, we also noticed um, recently, I was pointing out to my wife that there is literally no two symptoms you can't put into the internet Google search that won't return uh, cancer as the what it is and and um, and I did I actually did this with my sister who for some reason um, she gets these two little holes in her shirts they look like little fang marks right around her belly button she doesn't know what causes them and if you go online it's the other great thing about the internet is such a massive place there are literally dozens of people on dozens of sites talking about what is causing these goddamn holes in my shirt that, that and all my shirts and so i put in holes in shirt and cancer and well done. um the uh i think i'm going to read um a slightly more serious one i haven't read before this one's almost a story. Um, the, 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 what's interesting about this book is it was written over 22 years, and you can sort of, as you go through it, although it's not in chronological order in which I wrote it, um, uh, you can see like definite shifting concerns of mine. And at some point, uh, I was a new father, and uh, it, had, uh, it had an effect on me. And I'm, I'm not going to be able to find it. One of the things you probably shouldn't do is, is tag 30 different pieces in, in your book. Um, oh, dear Lord. Okay. Um, I'm going to look this up in the table of contents. Because uh, um, there it is. That's why you're looking. Yeah. Um, well, uh, well, this uh, this was a, a particular thing because it was a time where I have a relationship with them, and it's much more direct than with the New Yorker. Um, uh, 
it's so hard on humor, you know, it's, it, it, when they reject things, and I've been luckier lately than, than I was originally, when, um, when they used to reject things, Roger would um, send me a letter that would make me feel bad for ever submitting it. Um, and, and, and not because he was mean, it was because it seemed to pain him so much. No, to have to, to, have to turn me down yet again. Um, and he would be unfailingly polite, and then he would just, in a tossed off half a sentence, like point out something that made the piece fatally flawed. <laughs> that the once, or once you read it, you realized, uh, uh, there's no way to even fix this piece. <laughs> uh, but you know, you get some explanation, and some of it's gotta just be, uh, it wasn't funny. Didn't like it. Didn't work for us. Yeah, it's much more, they, they really want things that are much more off the news, probably things that are simpler and not as, um, you know, they used to run some rather goofy pieces that they don't really run anymore. Um, I, didn't, I didn't particularly write those kind of pieces, but I miss them. Um, Donald Barlow used to write these amazingly funny shorts for the magazine that um, I have a feeling if they got one now, they'd be just like, oh, what is this? Um, but... Uh, uh, shorter off the news, that's kind of it. If you can do something that happened that week, you've got a better chance of getting it in. But meanwhile, you know, Paul Rudnick's definitely writing on the same topic, and so you've got to go up against whatever he decides to do that week. Um, this one I did for Esquire um, shortly after our first child, who I'll point him out and embarrass him, is right there, and he's t 12 now. Um, it's called The Baby Proofer. Um, the baby doesn't like his flak jacket. It's Kevlar, the lightest material capable of stopping a large caliber bullet. But it's awfully hot, and it makes it hard for the little guy to sit up. Which is just as well, because a sitting baby, the baby proofer says, is a sitting duck. We got our baby proofer through a friend who came to visit after the baby was born and had a cow. There's so many dead babies in this house, she said, her fingers fluttering about. The wife got pretty upset, but this friend, really more my wife's friend, pressed her head, blotted her cheeks, and said the important thing was that her baby wasn't dead yet, and there was still a chance we could stop the baby before he could kill himself. The baby proofer cost $75 an hour. There's a dead baby, he said, not a foot in the door, Ray the staircase, then in a bouncing gesture along the baseboard, dead baby, dead baby, dead baby. What is that? What, that, that penny? Dead baby. Our poor baby died so many times during that initial consultation. 187, according to the baby proofer's written assessment, it seemed like more. Dead baby in the toilet, dead baby down the disposal, dead baby with my scissors plunged into his carotid artery. Just curious, the baby proofer turned to me at one point. Did you want to have this baby? The baby proofer needed a $10,000 retainer. For that kind of money, I said, just trying to lighten the mood a little, we could buy a whole new baby. The wife did not laugh. The baby proofer stood up. I haven't lost a baby yet, he said, but who knows, maybe I'm a little overcautious. Why don't you just buy one of those baby proofing books? They only cost about 20 bucks. The baby proofer went through the initial 10 grand rather quickly. In fairness, a lot of it was materials, 34 ceramic outlet guards at 1995 apiece, 
the plastic ones, my wife agreed, weren't darling, and they leached a substance that caused fatty tumors and cancer-prone mice. 62 baby gates at 39.95, four safes, pharmaceuticals, soaps and bath products, cleaning supplies, cooking and eating utensils, and assorted swallowables at $195. The Cuisinatal food reprocessor alone cost $3,000, but it does puree at twice that FDA shockingly last standards and can strain out some of your larger harmful bacterias. There was some debate in our house as to whether we really needed six baby dummies at 699 per, but I suppose the wife is right. If even one of them is stolen, it's probably worth it. <laughs> Beyond the money, we've had to make a lot of adjustments to create what the baby proofer called a survival-friendly environment. Some of it makes sense, not, like not allowing anyone who has ever been to Africa, Southeast Asia, or Mexico into the house. But the hospital scrub down after every diaper change seems excessive, and it's so heart-ranging with the baby crying the whole time. And I do miss TV though not enough to come home one day and find my lazy, violent, obese baby with the television set toppled on his head. The thing I hated most was getting rid of the dog. Well, what could I do? It kept tasting the baby. I haven't been sleeping much. I sit up in bed worrying about all the money we've spent, but also whether we've spent enough. I go through each one of those 187 dead babies in my head, running their fatal scenarios against the prophylactic measures we've taken. Did I remember to spin the combination on the toilet? I stare down at the bedside monitor waiting for the baby to flatline, which he does five or six times a night. So far it's just been he's pulled off the wires again, but running in there five or six times a night and fumbling about for those shock paddles, it takes something out of you. <laughs> My wife and the baby proofer are, are um, driving up to Ojai for a weekend seminar on antioxidant baby massage at some resort. I forget exactly why they can't take the baby. The spa supplies its own practice infants for insurance reasons, maybe. So here I am, left holding the baby. He is so beautiful. I want to lift the polarized visor from his helmet to get a better look. <laughs> I want to kiss his cheeks, his nose, his forehead, damn the salmonella. But I can't, I know that. I rock the baby gently in no more than a 20-degree arc, no more than 20 oscillations per minute, whispering in a 5 to 10 decibel range. Please don't die, baby. Please don't die. Not on my shift. <laughs> I should, should point out, I, I, I can't remember how it came up, but it wasn't in relation to this piece. I, I saw my sister over the weekend, and, and she talked about how when um, their first child was born, they would take him for walks in the stroller on a regular sidewalk and stop at every crack in the sidewalk to lift the stroller up <laughs> go over I like talking about, big, talking about those little, because they were afraid of shaken baby syndrome. They didn't want to be rattling the baby with the little. And if you know my sister, you totally realize I'm not making that up. So where are we? Do we have time uh, left? Are you a DC or a Marvel? Uh, a DC or a Marvel? Yeah. I could get really cool and, and say, you know, Dark Horse. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Uh, what's that? Which I probably am. When I was a kid, um, uh, we weren't allowed to have comics. So. so what? So we shoplifted them. You shoplifted them? <laughs> um, a little inside baseball there as far as the, the comic book talk goes. Any other questions? Um, there are now only 34 days before National Monkey Day, so you should get a copy of your book. Larry would be glad to sign it. I don't know what um, you have about monkeys, Greg. 
did like a monkey bite you. Are once. they innately funny? I think <laughs> they're funny. Um, but the holiday season is coming up, so uh, enjoy uh, talking to Larry further this evening. Uh, get a copy of the book from uh, Ivy Bookshop, and uh, join me in, in thanking Larry Doyle for for reading from. Thank Delirious you all Happy. for coming. Thank you.